Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And it's a real joy to do that, to have one chapter at a time. We really get to see the broader context of everything. Uh, this week, uh, look look out, we're going to have a, a special little uh, episode of Thy, of uh, Sharper Iron, kind of meets uh, Thy Strong Word. Uh, this week, I'll actually be on with uh, host Pastor Timothy Apple on Sharper Iron this week. Uh, check that out. They, it's interesting you compare these two programs. It's nice to do a little bit of both on Thy Strong Word. We're looking at the, the big context. We're seeing how the first part of Isaiah interacts with the middle and the end and what the whole book is saying. And uh, actually, the segment that, that I'll be doing with uh, Timothy Apple, Pastor Timothy Apple, it's just three verses that we're looking at. <laughs> it's like three or four verses. So, uh, and there we're going like really in depth. It's really nice to do a mix of both. So look out for that. But today, on Thy Strong Word, we're looking at chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. And what a chapter this one is. This is a chapter that's so well known. Um, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes, we were healed. You know, this is a very well known chapter. It has such a strong connection to the tradition of Good Friday and Holy Week. Um, and, and the thing is, I mean, as, as powerful as it is, and it's, as amazing as it is that, you know, you have a prophecy that seems to just fit so well for our Lord Jesus Christ, um, it's like, is there any historical context, whatever? Does it have anything to do with the situation of the exile at all? I mean, we've seen so far, it seems like all the chapters seem to have at least one level where it has something to do with what's going on in Babylon and Judah. Uh, but is there anything here? So that's a really big question for us, and we'll be taking a look at that. Um, not, it's not something that people always agree about, but I think that if you look at the pieces that are there, there's a couple levels to appreciate for us. Joining us today, we've got Pastor William Foy. He's the pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Valparaiso, Indiana. Good morning. Welcome, brother. What a chapter we have to look forward to together. Good morning. Yes. Can Isaiah we, um, chapter. Can we, can, we, can we actually back up just three verses for today to start there at 52.13? I know you did that on Friday, but I believe they all... Um, really come together. Uh, those those three verses are necessary to work through 53. Can we do that? Yes, yes. We'll um, we'll get started just in just a moment uh, after we pray. But you're right. We talked about that in fact last week when we did go over 52. 52 is a, is a very transition chapter. It really just is the conclusion of 51, and then it just starts really 53 early in many ways. And and we and we kind of looked at that that. You already have uh, in verse 14, especially those words we looked at last time, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. So, yeah, definitely we can go ahead and get a running start, as it were, since the chapter sort of begins early. Uh, but, yeah, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and dive into it. Would you say a prayer, though, brother, for us and for everyone listening today that God would bless our, our hearing and reading together? Yes. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us your word, certainly enfleshed in your Son, uh, who has come into the world and has redeemed us. And you continue to grant your word to us, uh, Christ Jesus, through that which is preached, that which is read, and through the holy sacraments, as he continues to bring to us the fruits of his passion upon the cross. Grant, Lord, the 
Holy Spirit, to grant us wisdom and understanding as we study your word this day, and grant us comfort and peace and the certainty that by Christ to him crucified and risen, we have the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life. In your holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So, yes, let's go ahead and start with looking back at 52. We recall that the, the first part of 52 um, that, that began, you know, awake, awake on your strength, O Zion, you know, this was, this was very similar to what was in 51, this idea of, you know, now God's people, Israel, is no longer the one that's laying down in the dust, but now she is going to be the one lifted up, made beautiful, you know, dressed as, as the bride of Christ. There's this idea of, you know, being lifted up in splendor, uh, how that really does work as a description of returning from exile. We began in verse 13, a different sort of image here. So let's go ahead and, and read those three verses, as you suggested, brother, and, and appreciate how this fits together in the context uh, of the first three verses of 53. So beginning at 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance in his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And now 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So familiar words, words that we hear uh, every year on, on Good Friday. And, and yes, as you were saying, uh, it just really keeps going from the previous chapter here. Um, so to take us through how this is opening up here as a new unit um, in, in Isaiah here in this portion. Yeah, I think this is, um, as we have these first three, these last three verses of 52 leading into 53, um, 52.13 certainly speaks of um, the crucifixion of Christ. Um, this goes back to John 12.32, or go, I guess we go forward to John 12.32, 32, when right. the Lord says, when I am high and lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. And so we have this, uh, this language that uh, brings together the crucifixion of Christ here, this um, this prophecy of the, the crucifixion of Christ is speaking of his crucifixion um, and how I think as we hear, behold, my servant shall act wisely, uh, the wisdom of God is uh, uh, greater than, than men. Certainly the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. So we have uh, this speaking of his crucifixion. And then as we move into 14, um, as it speaks of his horrible appearance, I, I think something that is difficult for us, um, and, and understandably so, is to really think about how, how um, not just physically gruesome 
the crucifixion of Christ was, such that uh, the Roman beating that he suffered uh, left him truly indistinguishable as a, as a human being um, uh, upon the cross. An inglorious appearance, as, as some speak of it, um, but also mm-hmm. the uh, profoundness of his um, the suffering in his very soul. Uh, we hear that that anguish upon the cross. Um, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have, right. why have you forsaken me? And we can't comprehend that. Uh, we can sort of maybe comprehend a little bit somebody being um, savaged, brutalized, um, but uh, we, we don't truly uh, understand um, what it means for one to have such profound soul suffering um, and anguish, the wrath of God being poured out. And I think these words help us to understand that a little bit. Um, his approach right. so marred beyond human semblance. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly. And I, I think that for anyone who, you know, watched that, that Mel Gibson movie, like the passion of the Christ mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, like, which is very hard movie to watch. It's, you know, it's one that I, I, in fact, I, I own, but it's like, I don't watch it very often just because it is so challenging, but I mean, it gives you a little bit of a sense of, you know, what, what it was, uh, must, must've been like physic physically though, as you were saying, um, it, it's not just a matter of, if I, if I can steal you for just one second, sure, on that. yeah, sure. Um, it is a great movie. Uh, I don't, and obviously it's not perfect. It is, it is art. Um, mm-hmm. but I think in that, I think a piece of artistic license at the very end of the movie, um, after the the Roman centurion makes his declaration, All right. and then they zoom out from the cross, and you see the one teardrop come down from heaven. Now, of course, God doesn't cry, but mm. nonetheless, in the death of his son, it, it even shows uh, you know, almost a representative of, of the anguish of the Father. And I think yeah. for me that sums up that entire movie, how, how difficult it was, but yet for the both of them and for the spirit as well, and yet did it in spite of the profound cost. Right, looking, looking down at his son, marred beyond human semblance. And, um, and as you were saying, too, it, not just on the, the physical level, but on, on the spiritual level in terms of what he was bearing and, and the cry of dereliction, as, as you recalled in Aramaic for us. Um, you know, so, so we look at these words, and, uh, and actually, I recall we talked with uh, Pastor Dieterding last week and saw how, you know, there, there's a little bit of, and this is something that you get in John, the Gospel of John you mentioned, um, there's this little, a little bit of this uh, duality that when you talk about Christ being high and lifted up, um, on the one hand, this refers to the ascension, when our Lord was kind of literally um, high and lifted up in, in a glorious sense, you know, as he's lifted up into the sky, um, into the cloud, you know, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And so on the one hand, it kind of recalls, he's lifted up, recalling that, you know, in, in the past, uh, he was marred beyond human semblance, but now he's glorious. But then in John, uh, the Gospel of John, it kind of ironically looks at that and says, hey, look, you know, in some ways, when he's lifted up on the cross, they're kind of lifting him up himself. In fact, that description that says, you know, you know, this is the king of the Jews, which was meant in a mocking way, right? Like, hey, this is what we do to you insurrectionists. This is what we do to you rebels. Um, ironically, it's them like calling him the son of God, which he really actually is. And so it's like God manages in, in a kind of hidden, ironic, uh, mysterious, dark way to receive glory even from his enemies. 
Well, yeah, and I think, you know, as we read uh, early fathers, and certainly in, in, uh, in modern times, too, we read uh, that the, the greatest glory of God is his ascension upon the cross. I mean, that is his that is his true exaltation. I mean, they, his greatest glory. I mean, certainly he's he he'll return in glory upon the upon the clouds, and and of course we'll see the scars, uh, the, the the marks in his hands and his feet and his side. Those will never go away. Those stigmata. But uh, when we get to, I think I think that helps us when we get to 15 uh, here. Um, the kings will shut their mouths, and 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 uh, for that which they've been told them, they see, and that which they've heard, they understand. Is uh, this is the, then the going forth um, through the word and the sacraments, the pro- proclamation of the gospel, the the truth of what this thing was that for many seemed to be such foolishness and such weakness of God, is this magnificent uh, salvific thing of God, and um, you know it's a liturgical thing too, as we hear our, our in 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Certainly reminds us very clearly of the work. Uh, when when Moses was sprinkling the people, um, and when regularly in in, uh, in worship, that was a thing of, of the sprinkling of blood, whether it's upon the altar or things like that, and and even on people at various times. That, um, although it doesn't say sprinkling blood here, uh, that certainly is a connotation we can take from this. Uh, that, yeah. Um, that that which was shed upon the cross is that which is sprinkled upon us. I mean, we, you know, yesterday, uh, by God's grace and mercy, we you know, received the sacrament, and we, you know, it poured into us, and not just sprinkled upon us, His blood poured into us. Um, and uh, uh, 52:10, I think yesterday, last week, and he had it. It's one of these great verses. Um, the Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the kings will close their mouths, all the uh, the, the wise and the, everything else, as this truth is revealed, and they now come to knowing and seeing and understanding. Certainly. Um, and, and the idea of sprinkling, you know, I mean, it's really, you get it all over, all over Scripture. And when we, when we read Numbers, we, we saw a little bit of it, too. It's in, in Leviticus and Numbers quite a lot, the, the sprinkling of the blood, um, and all the significance that we that we see there. So, okay, taking stock of this, these first uh, three verses, which are the last three verses, fifty-two that we that we looked at last time, kind of briefly at the end of the, the hour. Um, how does this then lead into the first three verses of, of fifty-three? So, I mean, these three moments that, that that can definitely you can see apply to the, the crucifixion, both in terms of lifted up in an ironic glory, a hidden glory of God, um, being marred, um, shedding the blood that sprinkles for our atonement. So how does that then, um, and you, you're starting to mention it with, with verse 1 there, the idea of the arm of the Lord, that, that being that a kind of ongoing Old Testament theme. But so what, what is that then, uh, how does that then flow into verses 2 and 3 with this idea of, having no form of majesty or beauty and, and despising and rejecting him um, and, and all the rest. I would like to suggest that uh, the, the, this report that the, that he says, you know, who has believed this report is this, this uh, proclamation of the gospel, that this is what has just happened. This is what has been accomplished or will be accomplished because again, you know, um, uh, we have this in Romans, right? I mean, um, Paul speaks of this, and then he says, "Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word, uh, which is Christ." Um, and then uh, 
the arm of the Lord revealed, the arm of the Lord, obviously the one who sits down at the right hand of the Father, is the Son, um, the power and the majesty of, of God, which is in this um, this weakness and this foolishness of, of the crucifixion uh, as man would see it. And so then I, I think then, then uh, two and three and four then begin to flesh out this gospel message, this declaration, this proclamation of who is this arm of God and what is it that he has that he has truly done. And um, a man acquainted with sorrows, uh, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Um, all this language is, is this thing uh, that I believe goes back then, as we started, we don't need to go back there, of course, again, to 13, high and lifted up this exaltation of Christ upon the cross. This is what that report is. You know, Good Friday is the good day because this is when the Lord is crucified for our transgressions. This is the day we're reconciled to him. This is the day when it is finished, the, the reconciliation of men unto, unto God. So I think 2, 3, and following um, flesh that out even more, that report right. that is the revelation of the arm of God. Right. This is, this is how God has lifted up his arm to save his people this time. He's not lifted his arm up to, to part the Red Sea, but he's lifted up his arm to, to sacrifice his own son, which is an even greater exodus, an even greater Passover, right? As John, you mentioned John, uh, all of this goes back to John, how John seems to really complement what Isaiah is setting up here for us in terms of these theological themes, is the greater Passover right. lamb, um, right, who, who gives us not the, the washing um, of, of going through the Red Sea, but the washing of um, his own um, blood and the washing um, that comes from bap- baptism, the water flowing from his side. So the, the question I have here, and I think this is, I, I think, pretty standard Christian interpretation of these verses. The question then, though, is, okay, if this is this, you know, just fantastic, beautiful, um, and, and so specific in so many ways, picture of Christ, how does it follow logically what was earlier on in 52? Because so far in Isaiah, we've been tracking um, that in the first 39 chapters, it was pretty consistently about the Assyrian crisis and the Assyrians coming, destroying Judah, uh, the Judahites taking their last stand in Jerusalem and God's miracles to send the uh, army of Nebuchadnezzar, of Sennacherib, back home to Assyria, back to Nineveh. So, okay. And then we change over to 40, and it's this this view of the situation in Babylon. Hey, wake up, guys. Get up. We're going we're gonna to leave Babylon. Time to leave from this place. We're going to go back. We're going to rebuild. And those, and those last verses that we read before this, you know, in 11 and 12 of chapter 52, you know, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Get out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. We, we saw, but before we did Isaiah together, we were looking at uh, Daniel and Ezra and how the idea of, you know, that they were actually given— uh, the vessels of the Lord to take back to Jerusalem. They were given materials and money to go and rebuild the temple. And it was like the plundering of the Egyptians. But this time they weren't, you know, running away um, in haste because Pharaoh was going to, you know, start chasing after them. This time, you know, they're, they're given, you know, like a, a soldier to soldier, uh, soldiers from Assyria, not Assyria, from Persia, right? They were actually given the, the rear guard. So it seems to fit very historically. And then, we change over to to verse 13, right? So anyways, that's a very big question. We'll, we'll have to 
um, to kind of break this into two parts here. We have to go into our break in about a minute. But if you could just maybe in, in the, for the next minute kind of just start to formulate um, an answer to this and begin the conversation, we'll get back to this afterwards. So you're wanting an answer to a historical, a historical context of coming out of bondage again into to the rebuilding of the temple and the holy vessels? Yeah, well, just, yeah. Just so, what, what do you just what do you think? What are your initial thoughts on that? Like, you know, we have this very historical. It seems to make a lot of sense what we've read so far in forty through forty-two about the historical situation of the exile. So, you know, how how then? How does it be like if we can lump thirteen fifteen together and yeah. have them come to their conclusion with with fifty-three one? Um, you know, we see the the. Um, the Israelites absolutely in these in these chapters and are absolutely looking for their Messiah. They're they're believing in the Messiah. This is the revelation to them of their Messiah that's to come, and so all these other things are foreshadowings of the one. And so, well, so then to whom has the Lord re, you know revealed His arm? Is it in just these holy vessels we're bringing back in this place, the money that we've been given by our former by our enemies who are going to let us rebuild the temple, or is it this? And it's this. This this thing that we're really going to look forward to, which will be the fulfillment of all these shadows, of all these types. It will be this Messiah who is to come and who is going to do these things for us because, you know, why were we exiled in the first place? Why were all these things, you know, why was the temple plundered in the first place? Because of the disobedience and the, the willfulness, every man did what was right in his own eyes uh, kind of thing of, of all the Israelites that, that, that they were they were. You know, God punished them. He turned his his face on his back from them regularly in various times. And although they're brought back to Jerusalem, he shows them that the the the, the fulfillment of these things is not just that you have a building back. Uh, it's not that you just have all these you know beautiful gold platters and plates and 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 uh, candle stands and the like. But rather, it is right. this one who will come and bear all this iniquity of yours and actually make you truly a holy people. Amen. Everybody, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 53 here on Thy Strong Word with Pastor William Foy joining us today. Hang on, we'll be right back after the break. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. 
Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive Word and Sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide Word and Sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 53 here. We're joined by Pastor William Foy, pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Valparaiso, Indiana. I'd like to invite all of our live listeners, if you have a question for us on this portion of Isaiah, which uh, did begin in chapter 52, uh, you can call in 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And our friendly helper people will let me know that we received an email and make sure that I get your message. So uh, going back to this, we were just looking at these first three verses of chapter 53. So we will have to press on pretty soon here um, and seeing how they fit together with the last three verses of 52, which we read last week. And we went ahead and read again this morning to refresh our memories. Um, and, and we see how, yes, certainly the, the truest fulfillment of this is in our Lord Jesus Christ, especially um, in his death, resurrection, and ascension for us. And, th- and that's why we have these words right on Good Friday. And um, Pastor Foy was just trying to answer the question, you know, so how does this make sense in the context? Because we have this very strong contextual message of, okay, you know, Cyrus has shown up, you know, he, he named Cyrus, right? Um, he named the gods of Babylon, you know, so it seems like we're tracking very historically. Now is the time to to get up. We're going to take the, the the vessels of the Lord. We're going to take the, the gold. We're going to take the armed guard, and we're going to make our way back to Judah. And so how does that fit in? And so we were just starting to say, well, um, in some ways it says, okay, well, as you do this, you know, um, bear in mind, not just uh, bear the vessels, but bear in mind, that this isn't this isn't the the ultimate uh, fulfillment of all of these things that you know you're going to do this and it's going to be good, um, but it's not going to be perfect, right? I mean, like we 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 know when because we read Ezra together, you know when they when they built the temple in Jerusalem um, with the help of the Persians, and even though it was twice as tall, right, as the previous temple. Um, they they cried uh, because they, they knew as it, as as good as it was and as much of a blessing as it was to have these things back. Like there was there was still just something that wasn't that wasn't quite right about the situation, was it? Yeah, it, it, right. It's not it, it, it's not perfect, right? The Hebrews, if the if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, then we wouldn't have needed Christ, right? I mean, um, so I think you. 53 is very personal. Uh, the pronouns indicate very personal relationship here. It's not speaking about things. It's speaking about a person. Um, and um, I think as we begin in these, these first couple of verses of 53, um, where you have um, people hiding their faces from him, and we've just heard of his exaltation uh, upon the cross, his high and lifted up. Well, we now see how man really treats him how do we really treat him? We have hard, we, you know, we have a hard time with Good Friday, 
Um, a lot of the evangelical churches, you, you'll never find a crucifix there. Uh, a lot of them don't have services on Good Friday. They run immediately to Easter because it's so, so much more joyful to see, you know, the Lord coming out of the tomb and he only has a few paltry little scars and not a big deal. And we can see him in his glory and all this kind of stuff. Um, this, this, these several verses here, um, three, two, three, and four, speak about this profound wounding. What, what was what was needed to be done, uh, even in five, uh, to redeem us from our sin. It wasn't just some simple thing of of um, uh, a pretty liturgical life in some temple building somewhere where people would try to follow some rules and do some other kinds of things and offer animals that were maybe theirs, maybe, maybe they weren't uh, with, with these other ritual things, but rather uh, the, the actual real redemption of mankind, the reconciliation to God, requires the death of, of, of not only a human being, but of, of actually of God in human flesh right. and blood. And, and it's so hard for us to look on that because it, it points, it, it gives us the both end, right? It, it gives us the, oh, my goodness, that's because of my sin. I can't look at that. Right. It, it makes me a murderer. I'm culpable of this murder that took place, this injustice that was laid upon this man, while at the same time, it's the day that's called good because it erases all of that. It washes it all away. It reconciles me. So it is a very difficult thing for us. We um, uh, we don't, you know, he, he's he's held, he, he's hung up as we get to the latter, latter verses between two other malefactors upon the cross. The cross is a, is an accursed, horrible thing. Um, and so why would why would we esteem him when he's just hung up like a common criminal? Um, right. And uh, so this, you know. These verses, these early verses, you know, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, in some are a microcosm kind of where, where Paul goes with Romans 1, 2, and 3, right? Lays out this case to the Jews about the Gentiles and then finally about the Jews themselves about, no, this is, this is really all about you. This is, you know, you're no better than they are. Um, and, and, you, you know, and so God this God who, who's relieved you from all of your enemies, who's brought you back to Jerusalem, who's given you back all these things of the temple life, that you might actually worship rightly, have good liturgical right. worship, and, and recognize who this God is and his love and his mercy and his compassion for you. It's really um, accomplished, the, the, the fulfillment of that is accomplished in this, uh, the arm of God who has been revealed. Right. Yeah, no, certainly. And that's and that's something that's reflected in our liturgical tradition that, you know, we have that three part um, service and well, I mean, really, in some ways, four part service when it comes to Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil and then, you know, Easter Day that mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like Good Friday is like really so much like a separate holiday or separate like celebration as if like we like celebrate this and it's it's its own thing. But it's like kind of part of the Easter celebration, you know, it, 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 that's why I think, you know, we, you know, strip the altar and we leave in silence. Right. Um, it, it's because we're, we're not done yet. <laughs> we're, like it's still, it's still going on and you don't appreciate it Easter. Uh, like you were saying, you don't see the depth of God's love. Um, you don't see, you know, just what are those scars when he comes out of the tomb on Easter? What, what, what do those mean? Unless you take the moment to stop and look at, what's going on in, in Good Friday. And there's so much more that could be said about the liturgical tradition, which is um, just amazing. Well, right, but, I um, think you're, you're, but, but you're absolutely right, right? We, we, we don't have any benedictions, right? Yeah, no, we, we don't. We, we, leave, we leave in silence. We leave in right. silence. 
and, and not we, done. because it, it well, although it's accomplished, that's um, right. We mourn with the church the death of Christ until we rejoice in his resurrection that all that he did on Good Friday is now seen as accomplished and true because he took up his life, which, which tells us that the Father accepted his sacrifice and it was sufficient. And so, yes, yeah. And, 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 and furthermore, we're, we're, and he's raised. Look at Good Friday, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, my goodness, it's 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 actually kind of amazing because it's it's only twelve verses here in Isaiah fifty three, but we're going to be hard pressed to actually finish. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna suggest something here. Um, I'm gonna read verses four through nine next, and I think we probably need to confine ourselves not to go verse by verse, but to kind of look at some of the maybe the big uh, couple of themes that or lines or phrases that come out of four through nine. Um, and then and then we can have a, t- a little bit of time to talk about that. And then we can have a little bit of time at the end to talk about 10 through 12. And part of the reason why we're not going to have that much time is because I'm going to throw out one last thing. Um, and, 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 and then, and then we're going to, well, brother, just bear with me. So I want to suggest, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to suggest something and I, and I understand this is probably something that, um, probably a lot of people have not heard suggested, um, and that some people probably would, uh, maybe even really dislike as a suggestion, but here, here I go. So I absolutely affirm what you've said, brother, that I think this is the fullest and the truest interpretation of all this is looking at Good Friday. And certainly we have that in Acts even, right? When the Ethiopian eunuch was reading these words in Isaiah 53, right? And he was asking, you know, like, well, hang on, like, what, who's he talking about? And the answer is, well, he's talking about Jesus, right? So that, that is certainly our tradition that goes back all the way to the early fathers. But I want to suggest that there is also a historical line of thought that continues what we've been reading so far. And I think it's really interesting to see that, that we could understand this to be referring to the community that's in exile. Also, as we've been saying, multiple levels here, looking at the Old Testament level, looking at the level of our Lord's first coming, and then looking at the level of our Lord's second coming. I, I think you can still maintain all three levels here. So think about just holding holding on a second. Just just kind of think about this for a minute. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Well, that's what we've been saying so far in Isaiah 51 and 52. You know, awake, awake, you know, uh, rise up from the dust, right? Uh, all this language of, of lifting up, going back up. I mean, physically, it's going back up to Jerusalem, up to Zion, right? Um, going on, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. They were no longer a people. They didn't look like they were an ethnic group anymore. They looked like they were just Babylonians. They looked like it was it was done. Um, you know, like in what sense are they really like their their own distinct group with their own distinct God or culture anymore? Um, so it's it's interesting. You look at some of this stuff here, despised, rejected by men. Um, you know, nothing, no, no former majesty. They, they, they didn't have a king when they were in exile. Um, their, their only king was the, the king of Babylon, you know. And so in, in many ways, it's interesting that you could see that this continues the story of 51 and 52 as referring to the, the mess of the situation that was going on in exile. So I know that's kind of th- just throwing something out there. What, what do you think? Does Do you think that works in your mind to hold this together as still operating on three levels, the Old Testament, the the turn of the ages, and then the, the world to come? Um, 
It's a good question. Uh, I think what I would what I would offer would be that all of these things that that lead up to this, which are the return and and whatnot, um, that that there's something offered to uh, these people of God as he as he um, brings them back together from their exile. Uh, to a place where you know the Lord promises that he that He will dwell, that they uh, are in need, as we always are, of something outside of themselves and greater than themselves, which gives hope and certainty, uh, peace, um, and so. Uh, hence, um, this is this is obviously prophetic gospel because you know it hasn't happened yet. Um, but it is this it is this um, this gospel that says this is what's going to happen for you um, because you have gone astray like uh, you know all have, like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him laid, laid on not on Israel but laid on laid on this Messiah this 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 Messiah who who will come because obviously he hasn't come yet in in, in the time of Isaiah so I don't disagree with you. Um, that we can certainly take in the historical context, and, but and I think that that what 50, the end of 52 and 53 introduce or proclaim more the report is this glorious gospel of how these people, as they're brought back together into the Lord's intimate presence, will right. receive salvation, forgiveness of sins, and it's not in the things that they're going to do in the temple, but rather the thing that he does with his Passover lamb, with his, you know, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he offers him up. And it, you know, I mean, it's really a tough phrase, and it pleased the Lord (laughs) that he should crush him. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I mean, that sounds so devilish uh, almost, right? I mean, wow, would somebody be pleased to 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 bring such you know such crushing upon another, but rather it pleased the Lord that He would punish His Son, that that these who have been recalcitrant sheep chasing after every other pasture and finding every other thing are brought back and actually um, reconciled and atoned for and um, and healed. So I think you can certainly uh, absolutely take in the historical context. And into that historical context, Isaiah proclaims this beautiful gospel of this is your salvation. And it, just as Abraham had to wait for it, right? I mean, you know, right. um, you know, uh, Abraham uh, longed to see my day, and he did, and, and they want to stone him to death because Jesus is apparently blaspheming because he says he's older than Abraham. Well, but the people got it here. I mean, this is the Messiah they're looking forward to, and he proclaims him. Uh, to them as they're brought back, reconstituted as as people of God within the tabernacle or within the temple courts and and the worship life where all these foreshadowings are, in fact, foreshadowing exactly this gospel that Isaiah is saying, which would bring great comfort and peace to them. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Yeah, there's a foreshadowing. um, And, and, uh, well, I mean, it only makes the the, the fuller picture just all all the richer then. You mentioned verse 6, all sheep, like, like we... Like sheep have gone astray. We should go ahead and read this verse, I think, because it's there's a lot in there. I think that it gets um, a lot's done with it in terms of the imagery of the New Testament and even the citations that you have there. So let's go ahead and read this next section. Like I said, it feels it feels fast to go uh, read four through nine, but for the sake of time, I want to make sure we have enough time for ten to twelve. So let's go ahead and read this middle section here, verses four through nine. Surely. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So uh, just the, the, these moving words just continue. And the description, I mean, it really it highlights, I think, when you read it in the Good Friday level of things, uh, just highlights the, the atonement. Because now you get into this part, you know, in verse 5, about being pierced for our transgressions. Um, there's this idea that, that he's making up for what we did. Like you were saying, you know, like uh, you, when you were, uh, what we were talking about the Mel Gibson film, you know, the idea that you look and you say, wow, like I'm the one who had the hand in this, right? I'm, I'm the murderer who put him there. Um, in verse six, as you were saying, it, it's because I went astray, because we went astray. That's why this happened to him, just as you were saying earlier. Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, Luther says uh, that the, the Jews were just the henchmen for our sins that day. Um, hmm. You know, that if we were in the courts of Pilate's place, we would be yelling right along with them, crucify, crucify. Yeah. Um, and you have certainly, I think, in these verses, you know, the, as we have so much in, in, in uh, the Gospels, this language of, of shepherd and sheep, uh, here it's sheep language. So you have Passover lamb language, which reminds them all of the cost of their exodus, their cost of their being emancipated from uh, bondage and slavery, that this innocent lamb is slain, and then they partake of its flesh and, and, and uh, not its blood, of course, in the Passover for them. But right. um, and. It, it's it's this sacrificial thing, um, but also then we have uh, certainly the the day of Yom Kippur, or the day of atonement, when we have the, the 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 scapegoat, where you know all the sins are confessed upon the head of the lamb or the or the goat, and it's cast off into the wilderness. It's sent outside of the city, Christ uh, right, right. and Calvary outside of the city gate. Yep. And they, uh, I, you know, we struggle, I, I think, I, I know we do, I, I, at least I do, uh, a lot of times with uh, sort of the Old Testament language and, and, it's, and when it enters the, the, the New Testament Gospels, especially because we don't necessarily uh, grasp these agrarian things um, and sure, yeah. uh, these, these hurting kinds of things. But, um, you know, they know what a sheep does. If you don't pay attention to it, even if you pay attention to a sheep, they just wander away. Mm -hmm. Oh, that grass looks good over there. Oh, there's water over there. You know, Psalm 23 is this, is this wonderful thing that reminds us, teaches us, tells us who does the leading, who provides us with the water and the food, who provides us with the calm things necessary for life, who guides us through the, you know, the valley of shadow as well. Um, when we're left to our own devices, we wander away and we don't get punished for it. Yes. Yes, right. No, it, it happens it's, it's all, incredible all reversal, right? 
Yes. You know, yeah. And it happens just like you were saying, like all the time, like just automatically. It's just even even for a moment. And and it's we see that throughout the history of God's people that there's this wandering. And I, I want to suggest that, you know, we recall in the context of the exile here, there was a wandering that took place um, back in Judah because we know historically the entire population of Judah was not deported to Babylon. A, a good portion of it was. Right. But there was a bunch that was left back home, and that's what we recall from Ezra, because when the exiles returned to Judah, it was a mess. What would they have said? I think they would have said, hey, look at this. Like sheep, we've gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, because everyone was just doing their own thing. The people who were left in Judah, the survivors, they were not acting like God's people. They were intermarrying with people from all over the world with all kinds of different gods um, and different and different beliefs and different faiths. And so it, it was it was just, a, 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 I think, a small fulfillment of what we have there that the that the exile community comes back. And it's like, look at this. I mean, like, look how how far astray we have gone. And what's what's fascinating is that Ezra calls them to repentance uh, and he says, you know, hey, this this is not this is not consistent with what God's word says. And he reads them the word of God. And it's like I mean, it's like light to their darkness and um, it's like music to their ears. They they realize, well, this is what we've been missing. Like we've we've not been guided by the word of God these these 70 years. It's been out of our lives. And by God's grace, there's a change there in Judah. And, and I think that's a very interesting way of considering it that for those people who were left they probably thought to themselves like oh those exiles in babylon like they must have been really bad people cuz you know like they got they got carried away right but we must be okay yeah, cuz you know we got to stay home <laughs> yeah we got to stay home so god or the gods or you know whoever cuz they were really confused about this at this point right like they they must think we're okay people right but i mean it's interesting how in that context isaiah is saying hey look guys those those exiles over here who were punished and all that stuff. Well, that was our sin too. Don't go thinking that they just suffered because they were bad people. That that was, you know, he you know, he was born if you will speak of it kind of in a corporate metaphorical sense, you know, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's pierced for our transgressions. It was because of your sin that there was an exile. Don't go thinking that because you got left here or you were a survivor that, you know, God didn't have any problems with you and that you were totally innocent in all this. Right. Well, I think you know, absolutely. You're, you're, I believe you're correct in all that. And I, and I think then when you, when you look at the again, the fulfillment of even that is that first Pentecost, and there were God-fearing yep. Jews from every nation under heaven. They hadn't all been gathered back home. The diaspora still existed, and yet they're all gathered home uh, in this festival uh, of of the of the Jewish tradition that was given them by God to to maintain. And then they hear the fulfillment of all the stuff that they'd heard that they yep. supposedly believed and and even this you know they heard the fulfillment here of 53 right i mean this is you hear that the one who was crucified has risen the one that was pierced and and so they hear the 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 53 here has actually taken place not just a prophecy anymore and you know of course then you know stephen's martyred for that very same thing right, right. um yeah, so we have that, and I think that when we uh, look at verse nine, um, he had his death with the wicked. I mean, obviously he's hung up between a couple malefactors on the cross, and the profound, yeah. you know, the profound shame of the cross, and then his exaltation begins in his in his burial, 
right? He's yep. no longer in his time of his humiliation. And so he has this grand, uh, if you will allow, a, a grand burial with all the the, um, the aloes and things like that. And even they're going to make it even better. They're going to go back in a couple of days and fix him up even more, uh, which, of course, then we see that, his, uh, that it wasn't permanent. It couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. But, um, uh, you know, and, yes, and everything that he did and he said was, was all good. I mean, that's the, the no deceit in his mouth, no violence. Everything yes. that he ever said and declared is all good. He is the one true right. good, right? I, right, even when I he was on that, trial, call, he didn't. Why do you call me good when no one says teacher? Yes. Good teacher. Why do yeah. you call me good? Because only God is good. Now, no crazy thing. We only have two minutes left before the music plays. So I'm going to read the last three verses and we'll just have to make a very couple of brief uh, observations on the last three verses, uh, which feels just a uh, criminal. But well, here, here we go. 10, 11 and 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, for he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So uh, certainly these last three verses here, the thing that stands out, this idea of he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. You know, for those exiles, yeah, and this is what we're going to see next time on 54. We're going to talk about the offspring. That's the big theme, right? They're going to go back to Judah, and they're going to repopulate, and it's going to be, wow, they never thought they were going to have a people, and now they have a people again. Our Lord Jesus obviously did not have children, literally. <laughs> he did not have offspring, literally. But he had his days prolonged in the resurrection, and there is a sense that he has uh, many offspring, right? Well, but he is, but he is the firstborn of of the dead, right? I mean, exactly and the first fruits of the resurrection, and 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 we can never, you know, lose sight of the fact that he is God, as is the Father, as is the Holy Spirit, and so we are all children of God. Right. Sons of God, really, is better translation, uh, by virtue of the fact that he has sprinkled us with his blood in the waters of holy baptism. Um, I love, you know, I think, it, it, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who heard the report and trusted and believed, and then you skip on, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. I think, you know, that verse of Hebrews uh, 12, 3, sums that up for the joy that was set before him which is our salvation the forgiveness of our sins our reconciliation to the father by his horrendous suffering that we can't even fathom that joy you know he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of god and it and and so much of this is all past his stuff right and he allowed it all to be done to him amen amen Absolutely. The firstborn of many resurrected from the dead. Till till next time, everybody, (laughs) all at a time, Pastor A.J. Espinosa, peace.